Amen. Why don't you turn to someone and say, He is risen as you take a seat. Also, I want to give a big welcome to all of you at home and pray, all of you, if you're sick or feeling sick, we just pray for you. Holy Spirit, let your healing power come on them. Make them feel great. Take this disease off them right now in the name of Jesus. Let them rest on this beautiful morning Easter. And uh, those of you who are a long way away on holidays, maybe school holidays here, hope you're having a fantastic rest as well. And I hope you enjoy your resurrection Sunday morning. It's amazing to be in church. It's amazing to be with believers. And I love it. Thank you, team, for a wonderful time. He is risen. No, no, come on. There's not enough oldies here. You know exactly what to say. He is risen. He is risen indeed. I grew up with that and um, can't have Easter without those words. It's wonderful and I love it. And, uh, and uh, I love being, as I said, I love being with the church and it's great to be with the church. Did you enjoy Friday morning? Who was there on Friday morning? What an incredible time. We haven't had this sort of weather since, I think, 1987. <laughs> and um, just to be out there and to worship God with, other, with another church and people who've never even been to church were there. And uh, experienced the body of Christ. In fact, I know of young, one young man who was so overwhelmed, he said, I've never felt so accepted. I couldn't think, but that's the Holy Spirit at work in a young man's life. Never felt so belonging. Aha. I think it's the beginning of something amazing. Amen. I want to read to you from Mark chapter 16 and um, verses 1 to 7. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. Jesus was buried. We're going to the tomb right now, right? The very early and very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Good question. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. You think? And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as I told you. What an amazing morning. Now, if I had a time machine, I reckon that's one place I would love to go. Jerusalem about that time in history. Don't know what it would have been like, but I can tell you what, the thing I would have loved most, I think, out of that visit would be the moment they realise he's risen. The moment they realise what he said would happen, happened. The moment they realised that he wasn't just a good guy, he was God. Many, many would have realised it. And those words, those three words which we said before, he is risen, are such powerful words that I reckon they would have begun shouting everywhere. He's risen. He is risen. 
Those three words would have been shouted all throughout the district. In fact, I think those three words have resonated all around the globe since. When you think about the astounding effects of what happened on that morning, there's no event like it. There is nothing like it. There has been nothing and there will be nothing like the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is risen. I'd I'd say, Andrew, probably the most powerful words you could ever quote. When you think about it, there's a lot of powerful words, but there's nothing quite like those three words. When you put them together, he is risen. It's nothing like it. Powerful. And church, it is just as powerful today as it was on that morning. It is just as powerful today, if not more effective today, than it was on that morning. Think about it for a moment. He is risen. Wow, what does that mean for them? It was incredible. What does it mean for us as a church? Amazing. What does it mean to every one of us as individuals? Beyond belief. They're just not three words we echo with indeed. No, 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 no. They are life-changing words. They are life-altering. They are universe-altering words. He is risen. Well, just for a short time, I hope it's gonna be a short time, we'll see. I just wanna explain to you why those three words are so powerful. Why? And why they're powerful to us today, each individual and us as a church. Why? Well, it begins with he. Do you know that he is the most important part of it? You think about it, he, he is risen. He is the one who rose again. You know what, many people raised from the dead. They were. Elisha had a great run of them. Elijah, Elisha, the old prophets, you know, um, they, they would, this lady and her son rose him from the dead and didn't have to do a funeral now, that's good, you know. Elisha had such an anointing on him, many years after he died, they, someone died or was killed and they had to bury the body. They thought, let's use this grave. So they dug it up and they threw this body into the bones. It was Elisha's grave. And when the body touched his bones, it came alive again. <laughs> Doing miracles many years after he died. There's been so many people, the Bible records so many. I remember Jesus really upset this funeral parade one day. They used to have these professional funeral attenders who used to wail a lot and they'd be employed to make it a big event. And this little boy who had been dead for a while was in there and Jesus ruined the whole party. Come on, boy, wake up. He rose from the dead. We know the story of Lazarus. He'd been dead for days. Come on forth and he came out. Surely he stinketh, Lord. <laughs> I love that. Surely he stinketh. The old James version. He comes out and he was risen from the grave. Do you know many centuries since the Bible was written, there's been many people who record that they were once dead and no longer, are, are, are no longer dead. Many, many. There's a great movie, um, Heaven is for Real, about a young boy, Colton, when he was four years old, was dead. And he came back to life. You should get that movie out. In fact, just Google the real story. It's amazing what this young boy experienced. But what's so amazing about it, every story you read are so similar. They all have the same encounter. Read after life experience 
and um, Google it and just have a read of them. They all have, those who are believers, all have the same story. It's incredible. I nearly met a guy once. One of my nearly met stories. Have, have you got a nearly met story? I nearly met this guy. He's an African guy. And um, he was, he died. And his family were believers. He was a believer. And they were in grief. And uh, I think it was Reinhard Bonnke was coming close to their village. So they didn't bury him yet. They thought there's still hope. So what they did, they got his coffin and they took him to the, the, the rally where hundreds of thousands of people, and they hid it under the stage. This is in our lifetime. This is not that long ago. What, 20 years ago or so? And um, he uh, was under there for a day or so. And then all of a sudden, people who were around him praying realized that he was beginning to wake up. And he rose up. And he got out of the coffin. And a miracle happened right under the stage. Reinhard Bocke had no idea he was there. But what's really cool is, he was going to a conference at Wembley Arena in London, which Pastor Jack was taking me to. And I was so excited. And um, I was going to go meet him because Pastor Jack, one of the speakers, I'd get to accompany him into the speaker's lounge where this guy was going to be. I'm going to meet with a guy who visited heaven and came back. But he couldn't get out of Africa because they'd already signed the death certificate. <laughs> and in the government's eyes, he was no longer alive, so he couldn't get a passport to get out. I nearly met him. That would have been great. There's been many, many of them, but I want to tell you, except for that guy and maybe Colton and a few others of our recent time, Lazarus died again. Lazarus died again. Jesus didn't. He didn't die again. He's still alive today. He is risen. The he is so important. We're not just talking about a good man. We're not just talking about a soothsayer. We're not talking about some shaman or angel. We're not talking about, you know, just a prophet as the Islam would pre preach. We're talking about the guy who was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The guy who said, I am the Son of Man, the Messiah, but then he went on to say, I am the Son of God. In fact, Peter confessed, he says, you're right. You got it. The very Son of God. He didn't send a proxy. He sent himself as a son. In fact, John chapter one says that he is the word. Genesis chapter one says the word was there at the beginning. We sang it today. The word, the one who was there at all creation. He's the he that we talk about when we say he is risen. We're not talking about just some guy who came and preached well. We're talking about him. The amazing one. In fact, if you read Philippians chapter two, Paul's talking about how Christians should behave and what should be the outcome of a Christian's life. And right at the beginning of, or towards the beginning of Philippians two, he starts describing Jesus. He said, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather made himself nothing to, by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. He came from heaven, came down, he descended into greatness. Verse eight, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. The son of God was crucified. He was whipped, he was beaten, he was crucified, killed. 
but he rose again. He rose again. The he, friends, is so important. It's not just that someone died in place of us. You know what, we've got Anzac Day, we're celebrating next week and thousands have done that. Thousands have died in place of us. But do you know what? The he says, God came from heaven, from the throne. I love one of Darlene's songs from years back. The darling of heaven came and was crucified. Wow, what makes this phrase so powerful? He. The second word, is. He is. I like to see this word as such a positive yes, a definite he, it's absolute. He absolutely is risen. There is no doubt that he is risen. You know, um, I love uh, reading the story of Lee Strobel's. He actually, there's a movie called The Cause of Christ. Get that out on Netflix and have a look at it. The Cause of Christ, Lee Strobel's. He was a confirmed atheist whose wife got saved. And that really disturbed him. It upset his life. Upset his whole lifestyle that his wife would make him feel convicted about things Things like going to church and it upset his life. And he was an investigative journalist. So he's very good at his job. So he said, I'm going to investigate this. Found out that if you really want to nail Christianity and disprove it, it's the resurrection you've got to disprove. Everything else, you know what? Could be smoke and mirrors, right? Walking on water could be smoke and mirrors. But do you know what? <laughs> Raising from the dead can't be smoke and mirrors. It either happened or it didn't. So we went on a long journey. And this, you know, God-cursing atheist, through his investigation, realised it had to be real. He is risen. There is no doubt. In fact, if you research it, any credible historian who knows how to research, who knows, in fact, how you do that and what you do when you do it and what proof you're looking for, any historian who wants to look at that, cannot deny that he is risen. Cannot deny that he was risen again. First of all, they have to realise that, did he die? Absolutely he died. There's no doubt. If he didn't die, he was the only Roman captive that didn't, who they intended to kill. They were experts at death. And um, if you've watched uh, the clip from two years ago when me and my sons sat down and we discussed the proof of the resurrection, um, you'd understand that there's even biological proof that he died. The water that came out of his side, which was testimony, not just to the Gospels, but to many other sources. The water comes out and says that he was dead. He asphyxiated already. But then there's the empty tomb. Was the tomb really empty or were they just making it up that his body wasn't there? Well, of the day, the Romans and the Jews, it was not in their interest for Jesus to rise again. And they both never denied that the tomb was empty. They both said, yep, it's empty. We better make up a lie that they stole his body. There's proof. There's proof right through it. The four written accounts of him rising from the dead. Do you know, do you know how many written accounts there are of um, Plato? There's about 900 of them. There's about 900 in history, fragments. But do you know how many written um, testimonies and copies and what have you of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, over 30,000 from the ancient times. 
Do you know the historic facts of Julius Caesar were written around about 150 years after he existed? The written history of Jesus Christ was written around about four or five years after he was re- resurrected. And no one would ever dare say, oh, Julius Caesar didn't exist. Or Plato. He is the most proven figure in history. And his resurrection is the most proven fact of Jesus Christ. The forensic evidence is huge. The four written indications of it. And do you know what? The, the beautiful thing about the four um, Gospels, I've had atheists talk to me, oh yeah, but they, there's discrepancies between them. Absolutely there is. But if they were made up, do you think the person making them up would have had discrepancies? They weren't made up. They were actually eyewitness accounts of people who saw it happen. Wow. Or records, rec- recordings from the person who actually saw it happen in Mark's case and Luke's case. It is the most proven fact. Historians take into account that if you were to, in the ancient world, write a lie and get people to prove it, there is no way you would go on the testimony of women finding the tomb empty. Because in those days, thank God it's not like today, like that today, a woman's testimony was considered, blah, childish, don't even believe that. If you were to falsify this and you wanted to be believed, there's no way you'd have women discover the absent, absent body. You wouldn't go on their testimony. It's just another proof. And these were all written within 50 years of the resurrection. Usually hundreds of years is taken as close. But this was written close, so close. There is so much proof. The fact that the eyewitnesses who there were, what, 518, I think, people who saw Jesus resurrected that we know of. 518 of them. And, of course, we know the disciples were primary factors of that, right? All but one were absolutely mutilated, heads chopped off, crucified, torn into, flayed, all because they said he'd risen. Now, they were there. They either know it was a lie or it wasn't. Who would be beheaded for a lie that you knew about? That's proof. In fact, that's where historians get it. They say, how on earth would they ever, ever, would anyone die for something they know is a lie? Unless you're protecting a loved one. Wow. I think one of the greatest proofs of the resurrection is the modern day church. Here we are, what, around 2,000 years later, preaching it, and we're preaching it here, but as the morning revolves around the earth, you're going to hear it preached louder and louder and louder, and you get into the developing world where there aren't the carpets, there aren't the air conditioning, there aren't the soft seats, and they're proclaiming, proclaiming it louder than we could ever proclaim it. You get to a place like China where you can be jailed for preaching this thing. And do you know what? This Easter morning, they're going to be up preaching it. Maybe a bit like this in a room. Maybe in a field where there are no microphones and they ban their phones. It's true. But they will get out there. Why? Because they can't hold back because he is risen. He is alive. The is is so important in this phrase. There is no hiding it. 
you know, the, the creed of the Christianity. If you want to develop a creed, it's something that um, was believed. And often creeds of a legend are developed over many, many centuries. And um, a lot of the creeds you do read in Christianity, especially in the Catholic stream of Christianity, there's lots of them which were developed over many, many years. But there's one creed that we recite today, which we can track back down to at least five years or five years after the resurrection that was quoted in the church and is still quoted today. Almost verbatim. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 7. Paul writing, Now I would remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. This is the creed, right? If you hold fast to the word, I preach to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as first importance um, what I also received. Paul received it, right? That's how we know it was about five years because that's when he was with the disciples, right? Importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, when and the, uh, then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom still alive. Paul's saying, hey, look, they're still alive when I'm saying this. This creed is spoken amongst all of us, right? Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. That creed is still spoken today. It hasn't been changed. It hasn't been built on. It's still solid. And historians look at that realizing this happened. It's constant. In fact, I talked about the 30,000 copies of the Gospels, let alone the rest of Scripture, of the Gospels that are in existence today from antiquities. You know what? The most fascinating thing is they haven't changed. They haven't been added to. There's some little pieces which they could dispute. The end of Mark chapter 16. They found a fragment in um, 108 AD which had this extra verses from verse 8 down. So it's pretty old, but probably wasn't there at the beginning, they believe, because it looked like it had a different writer. My explanation of that, and most scholars' explanation is, it was someone thinking, Mark didn't quite finish this, but this is what I can see going on right now. You shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Snakes will bite you and they won't hurt you. You will lay hands on them and they will speak in tongues. And they just recorded what they were seeing. But most of Scripture is so in line with what was written right at the very beginning. Unthinkable when you think it historically that anyone would keep that pure, but yet the Word of God is. The story, this creed, this story was all in line with what it was at the very beginning and it still is today. Hasn't changed. Now you might think, so what? Historians know. The people who are scholars at this know how important that is to the reality of what happened. Friend, I want to tell you the he is very important, but so is the is. It did happen. It is real. And you know what? You might watch History Channel where they try to disprove it. Ignore that. Because the evidence is overwhelming. True historians know. It's true. The other thing about the is is this. It doesn't say he was risen. That's the powerful bit. Doesn't say he was risen. Not like Lazarus. He is risen today, which leads me to my third point. He is important, is important. But probably the most important is the word 
risen. He's risen. If he didn't rise again, Jeff, he wasn't God. He is risen. He is alive and it means so much to us, the resurrection, because without him being coming alive again, our sins aren't dealt with. He didn't conquer sin. He didn't conquer death. But he did rise again, so therefore he conquered sin, he conquered death, and we are now saved because of that. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says this, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it's important that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. But I want to tell you, that's just the beginning of it. That's not all of it. You know what, I thank God that I am saved, I'm forgiven. You know, I thought about it the other day. Someone does not technically need Jesus to be saved. If you live a pure life, all of your life, somehow avoiding the sin of Adam, you can actually make it to heaven because you can be pleasing to God. But I don't think that person exists. We can get it all right and you can behave right and, and live the right way and not have any sin in your life. You can please God and be part of heaven, eternity with heaven, in heaven. But if that's you, can you just put your hand up and float around the room so we know who you are? The bottom line is none of us can do it. It was his risen that enabled us to do that. He was the sinless one. He was the one who conquered sin on our behalf. He was the one who conquered death on our behalf. And he is risen. But like I said, that's just the beginning. You see, the risen is impacting our lives even today. It's not a past thing, oh, wasn't it greater that I got saved? No, 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 no. It's an everyday thing. Remember Jesus said this? Unless you are born again, you'll not see the kingdom of God. This born again thing. He said, you must be born again. What does that mean? Then he goes and say, You've been, you must be born of water and the spirit. Otherwise, you'll not see the kingdom of God. He said that. Paul said this, if anyone be in Christ, they're a new creation. All things are past. Behold, all things are new. We love those scriptures and it's true. But when you think about what that means, when I received Christ, I wasn't just forgiven, Pete. I was changed. I was born again. It was a spiritual moment where the Holy Spirit transformed my life. And I get to walk with him now. I get to walk, Bible actually says in Romans chapter 8, you get to walk in the Spirit. Wow. Now I believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes into you, he begins to dwell within you and, and begins to work through you. And I believe that is the risen effect. Because he is risen, I can walk in the spirit. Romans chapter eight, verse 11. Paul's explaining again this whole walking in the spirit thing. It's so important for believers to walk in the spirit. He's trying to say, don't walk in the flesh. You're a new creation now. You've been born again. Don't walk in the old ways. Don't walk just out of your own opinions. Don't walk just in your own thoughts or your own habits. Walk in the Spirit, he's saying. He gets to verse 11, he said, but if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. He's saying here that same spirit, he was raised because the spirit came into him. He was raised because the spirit of God and that same spirit, Christian, spirit-filled believer, that spirit dwells within you. So really when you think about it, the resurrection dwells within you. The resurrection power dwells within you. I can't stop thinking about where the church worldwide is probably at right now. We've had a crisis, two and a half years. It'll probably go on a bit longer. We have a war developing in Europe right now. It's gonna affect the whole world. Financially, resource-wise, Conflict may even spread, who knows? We've had this pandemic. Here in the Hawks, we've had a few floods. Pretty interesting. And I would guarantee you that believers all over the world are being challenged emotionally, spiritually, within their soul as well, all over the place. But I can't help but thinking this resurrecting spirit that Christ Jesus was raised from the grave by, that dwells within his church, the believers is beginning to move. I believe he's beginning to make his move and I think it's important for the church right now to dwell on this, that the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in me. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells within me. What does that mean? What that means is when I feel like I can't get out of bed one day, I can raise out of bed. When I feel like there is no hope, I can find hope. When I feel like, oh no, there's, I don't know where to turn, I feel confused. He can just solve that like that because the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells within me. You see, The church is not about just gathering on a Sunday and worshiping God, although that's a beautiful thing to do and I love doing it. I'm sort of addicted. It's about this power-packed group of people going out into the world and laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover. It's about Bible-believing, spirit-filled people going into a place where there's confusion, depression, where people are feeling lost and speaking life and showing this beautiful good news that God delivers people from all that sort of stuff. I'm just not quite sure whether the church does it much, but we're called to. I'm just not quite sure whether worldwide the church is actually active in doing that. But I think about these last two and a half years and I feel like the spirit's getting itchy feet within the church. And there's an unsettledness within parishioners. There's an unsettledness. And I would, I'd guarantee you, and I've prophetically, I've been praying this this week. Generally speaking, there's an unsettledness within believers' hearts. Maybe you might think it's boredom. Maybe you might think it's uh, discomfort. I believe it's a spirit rising up within you saying, come on, let's get active in this. Let's do something. Let's move this resurrection beyond just our own lives into others' lives. 
Let's be the people who actually have the answers. Let's be the people who have the resurrected Christ active in our lives. Let's, have the, let's be the people who can lay hands on someone who's feeling sick and see them recover. Do you believe for miracles? The resurrected king is risen. Therefore, his church is able to have his power in them to a point of seeing them resurrected. Whether it be from a cold, a sniffle, cancer. Whether it's depression, confusion, just being upset. The church has the answer. We are the anointed ones. We are the ones, the word church actually means the ones who have been sent out. We're the ones. On this Resurrection Sunday, he is risen. And that risen is an active agent within his church right now. We are the handlers of the spirit. We are the handlers of the power. You see, when you walk in the spirit, you walk in his presence. You understand that? His presence. Oh, Bob, his presence is beautiful. I might have shared this with you. Well, I don't know where I might not have shared this with you. I don't know. I, I was struggling. Struggling with these last couple of years and just and then the floods hit and sort of kicks the guts out of your bed as a pastor, let me tell you. Yeah, oh boy. Then I God like God said, boy, come over here. Come here. Come sit down, sit down, sit down. So I just sat down there and he got me to read one Timothy and but it wasn't the one Timothy, it was just the fact that I sat down and just began to focus on his presence. See, the way I like to read my Bible is not, oh, I better read this chapter, then this chapter, and this chapter, and I'm done. I don't like to read the Bible that way. I like to read the Bible saying, Holy Spirit, I'm about to open this amazing thing called the Word of God. When you think about it, it's the written Jesus. If he's the living Word, it's the written Jesus. And he just came in his presence. I just felt his presence all around me. It was beautiful. You see, his presence brought peace into my life. All of a sudden, I've got vision for my life again. All of a sudden, I lifted above the issues, realizing that, hey, I'm part of the resurrected Christ. I live in him. All because of his presence. But not only that, we get to walk, when we walk in the spirit, when we walk in the resurrection, we walk in the promise. See, he's spoken over you several times. You've had prophecies over you. You've had it spoken. Do you realize that's the promise of God? The one who doesn't break promises? He's spoken over you great things. And many of us have forgotten the great things that's been spoken of. But he's a God of promise. He's promised over your family great things. And I think when we realize that we live in the resurrected Savior, we can remember those promises and declare them. Even when it doesn't seem like it's going that way, we can stand firm and say, no, God said it. He's resurrected and that truth lies in me. Church, remember the prophecies. Yeah, dwell in his presence and you need to do that regularly. It's a bit like putting on deodorant. You need to do it regularly. I don't know where that came from. No, not saying anything, Marcus. Not saying anything. It's a public holiday, eh? The 
presence of God is awesome, but you've got to remember the promises. He has spoken promises over you. He's spoken great promises. If he hasn't, just read his word and ask Holy Spirit to reveal to you what he once said to you and he will show you things. Wow. I remember once reading 3 John 4. 3 John verse 4. There's no chapters, so it's just verse 4. It says, you know, there is no greater joy than to know that your children walk in truth. And I grabbed it as a promise. This is just when we just had little babies. I remember grabbing it as a promise. There is no greater joy than to know that your children walk in truth. Oh, I, I took it. Susan, I took it on as a promise that he gave me. And I'm seeing the joy of that right now. You know, I was, I was with the young leaders down at uh, Sutherland Church this week at Woo! Planet Boom. <laughs> just the word Planet Boom's enough to scare you off, isn't it? <laughs> they were handing out earplugs at the door. So I put them in. Got another set? <laughs> um, there's nothing better than to sit there and all the kids rush down the front to this one jumping organism. <laughs> to see your children worshipping God, there is no greater joy. Because a promise got placed in my heart. You walk in the spirit, you walk in his promises. Some of you guys have forgotten the promises that have been spoken over you. It's time to get back into that and start quoting them. Write them on your fridge. Put them on there and quote them every day. The promises of God, they're alive and they're real. Why? Because he is risen. Not only that, you walk in his power. I've got them in peace so you'll all remember them. His presence, his promises, and his power. Do you understand the power that's in your life? Too long, so many of us have been succumbing to what the world or what Satan himself would like to tie us down with. But do we realize that he is scared of the risen Savior who dwells in you? That he, you know, every, the demon's knees tremble. I think I've told you this story. I remember once as a young youth pastor, I was locking up at, after youth one night about 11.30 at night. I used to run late those days. And whoever designed this hall is a full-on idiot. <laughs> or a sparky. <laughs> they put the switch at this end of the long hallway. It'd be about almost 20 metres long. And I had to go out that door. What do sparkies do? Really? <laughs> Must have been the days before two-way switches, right? And I remember I turned it off and the building creaks. It's an old building, you hear all these creaks and I'm the only one in the building, well I think. And I'm sitting there and I started walking down this hallway thinking I know where it is, I know where it is, I know where it is. And this fear like it came out of nowhere. It gripped me. Oh, the creak, oh, oh. And I, I almost stopped dead. Then I realised, hang on, even is a dirty great demon He's scared of the Christ in me. And I shout out, in the name of Jesus, you stinking, filthy animal, get out of the road. (laughs) I had boldness, man. I got to the door and I said, I'm not going to turn on any lights. I'm going to keep walking. When we as the church realise the resurrected Saviour lives in us, it gives us power because we have that power. Do you walk in the power? Do you walk in it? Young people, 
You have power that you cannot even imagine how powerful it is. Don't forget that. You can tell circumstances to change. And if it's God's will, it'll change. You can tell things to be gone and they'll be gone if it's God's will. When we walk in his presence, we understand his promises and then we begin to step out with his power. It is living proof that the resurrection Christ of Christ is within us and it's the way he intended it. Part of that power is your words. It's felt right then. There's people here and I believe the Lord is challenging you to begin prophesying over your family. Speaking salvation into your family. Speaking peace into your family. Speaking peace over your marriage. You know, um, I was talking to a guy on Thursday night. He gave me a call. An old friend. And he's going through a lot of issues right now in his life. And he said, oh, Rick, I'm just going to just keep believing, just trying to do the right thing and just, I'm going to keep trying to do what, what a Christian should do. And I said, hey, no, 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 that's not the key. Because I've spent a lot of my life doing that and I fail miserably. Trying to be good. Trying to get it right. I don't think Christianity is, Christianity is about being sinless. I think if we begin to walk in the power, the presence and the, and the promises of God, we actually sin less. I think about my marriage. I, I can, there's things I can do better, but the best thing I can do is look to God and he transforms me into the man I need to be in my marriage. Not just try and do good. The first thing, if we've got a spout happening right now, spout, that's a good word? Spout, stoush. If we've got a stoush happening right now of some sort, or we just talk at a different volume, um, that's an indication, not that I need to become a better person, it's an indication that I probably need to know, get to know God a little bit better again and let his presence, his power and his promises flood through my life and I guarantee you that'll change everything. I, felt, I believe, I felt to prophesy this over our church. Speak the miracles of God into your marriage. Speak them. Speak them over your own life. This whole thing, there's, there's, there's diseases and, and worry and, and economic stress coming. It's all around us, there is. It is the time for the Christians to stand up and say, this is what God says. And you will find incredible peace. I speak peace over everyone's house. I speak it over your family, I speak it over your marriage. Young people, I speak it over your lives. Peace, because he is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Amen? Let's, let's just up there and sing a bit of a song. I feel like Holy Spirit wants to minister to people. And if you're at home right now today, I want to challenge you also to walk with Holy Spirit in this resurrection. You know what? We can leave it at He is risen. He is risen indeed. We can leave it at that if we want. It's truth. Or we could take that fact that he is risen and place it in our lives and walk in that resurrection. And the Holy Spirit is the key. And he's with you right now. If you're in a living room, riverbank, somewhere, he's with you right now. He wants to heal you. 
He wants to bring deliverance over your home and your house. Why? So you could walk in his resurrection and affect everyone around you. That's what it's about. We're his church. Just put that in your mind for a moment. We are God's church. We walk in his resurrection every day. Wow. And on this Resurrection Sunday, I'm going to ask us all, we're just going to sing a song, but I want us all just to concentrate on, I have the resurrection in me. I'm going to pray that Holy Spirit will awaken things in your life, that he will show you who you are, that there'll be a, a, a topping up, a filling of his spirit within you to remember his promises, to remember his presence and to remember his power over your life. Come on, let's all stand. Thanks, guys.